What do you want? Your head. <laughs> and the prize. Happy Halloween, ladies. <sighs> Nuns. No sense of humor. Ramirez's blade did not cut deeply enough. He was right about you, you are slime. Ramirez was an effete snob. He died on his knees. I took his head and raped his woman before his blood was even cold. You will always be weaker than I. I have something to say. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Hello, welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we tackle another facet of the Highlander universe. Welcome to episode six of the Highlander movie podcast. We are, I cannot believe we have made it to episode six. I'm one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. Believe it, it's Kyle. <laughs> and this is Eamon. Yes, and are we tired of talking about this yet? Not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> You look very pretty, Highlander movie. Oh, boy. You're pretty, Brenda. <laughs> Give me some Doritos, Brenda. Uh, <laughs> daddy, help, daddy. Uh, so, if you're new to this and you haven't heard parts one through five, just head on back. And they're always available on SoundCloud. Or if you subscribe on iTunes, they're there. You can check them out. Uh, but for now, we're going to jump back in with episode six. So at this point, Brenda is intensely interested in figure and unraveling this mystery of Russell Nash. So Brenda is at like some sort of hall of records sort of place. And I guess she's looking for the birth certificate of right. Russell Nash. And using that, she finds the doctor who delivered him right. who somehow remembers this? Remembers this specific birth. Well, he might remember it because Russell Nash dies immediately, and the mom, the mom also dies. Right. So that might be memorable. That yeah. might be a memorable thing. Um, uh, also, interesting tidbit here. This guy had to, like, this whole scene had to be reshot because the guy that played the original doctor was drunk off his ass the entire time. So drunk, he fell asleep while they were filming this. <laughs> <laughs> so they redid it with this guy. Uh, that's pretty amazing. And that like, they couldn't amazing. use the other footage? I guess not. What, like, what do I not know about actors that there are so <laughs> many, like, temperamental, unprofessional people who are well, yeah, involved just, in this movie? Yeah, just like the Nazi. Yeah, the Nazi. <laughs> like, the Nazi who's, like, a bit player who storms yeah. off the set and has to be replaced? Like, who are these people? <laughs> So anyway, they have like a, a nice little chat, and she discovers that the real Russell Nash died immediately. Right. So obviously her hackles are up about this whole thing. Right. So then we cut to this other sort of like library sort of place. I don't know where they are, but yeah. she's meeting up with like nerd number two in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got some sort of special computer program he's, he's running. hacking on the computer again. <laughs> uh, and he has been putting like, I guess he's been doing some research and he's yeah. put together this theory he has about it. Mm-hmm. Using some kind of magic software, he then compares the like deeds 
basically, for this piece of property that Russell Nash owns. And basically, someone with an identical signature, right. as proved by this weird computer program, <laughs> has been deeding this thing down through generations since 1796. Right, to generations of, like, stillborn children, essentially. Right. Yeah. So this apparently is Nash's M.O. He finds a child who dies and then assumes their identity. Right. But what he says to Brenda is this guy's been sneaking around <laughs> since the 1700s. And he presents this as like a theory that right. is true. Yeah, he believe like he's supposed to be some sort of scientisty nerdy guy, and he yeah. seems to like his first conclusion is like this guy's a vampire or something. Yeah. It's like he has no other theory for what's going on here other than yeah. immortal. Like he's not like somebody's been forging this signature for two hundred years for some reason, or like yeah. a series of people have been doing it for a particular. Yeah, reason. he doesn't have some sort of tax scam thing that he yeah. thinks might be logical, like. Nope, it's just this guy's immortal. It's like, all right. Yeah, like, he jumps to that, and Brenda's like, oh, golly. <laughs> and she's more freaked out than him, but maybe he's, like, a conspiracy theorist. Can we have a spinoff movie about this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she's just freaked out because this is an extra wrinkle to this guy who she knows has, like, back-alley sword fights with people. Well, this is something that maybe I wish— Maybe he's a watcher. Ooh. But, um, sh- This is something I wish, like, if you had to rewrite the movie a little bit, like, I wish was changed. Uh, I wish— Brenda maybe was a little closer to Connor in this situation because what happens in this library, it feels like like her reaction to all of this happening is it feels like she she feels betrayed. She's like, wait, who is this guy? Like, he's not Russell, Russell Nash. Like, I don't know who this person is. And I feel like if they set up that they had maybe a little bit, like, maybe they started to get, each, get to know each other a little bit more, like, there'd be a betrayal here by finding out that, like, what he said this whole time wasn't true. Like, I don't know this person I thought I knew. I don't know. I feel like this this whole scene is played for some sort of, like, shock value. Like, he's what? It's like, as the audience, we know he's not what he says he is. So I'm not sure kind of what weight is placed on this scene. Like, it's like, oh, well, I guess Brenda knows now. But, like, again, like, what are the stakes in that? Like, did she, did she love him before? Like, you know, like, what feelings did she have? Did she, did she feel betrayed by that? Like, she was always skeptical of him. Like, I wish she, like, maybe believed his shtick. About yeah. whatever, like maybe the police were after him, but she wasn't. She was like, "No, I believe you. Like you're not involved in this. Like I'm not part of their like manhunt or something." But then when she finds out this, it like confirms all her suspicions that the police had. It's like, oh, maybe maybe they were right. Like I don't know. It just feels like this could have had some more weight to it. But the the problem is she feels tacked on in a certain way. Like I feel like they didn't in know this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. People didn't quite know what her role was in this entire thing. Because I feel like there's a way they could have gone. I feel like what you're describing works if she is Nash's girlfriend. Right. Like, yeah, mine's a very be- different the, scenario. The but. movie begins with them being together and then it's this betrayal. Right. There's also this like a version of this where she's just a cop. Mm-hmm. And like maybe you combine Polito, I forget the other guy's name, the Moran. guy Moran, Moran from P- Police Squad, and her all get combined into one character, and she's like the detective. Right. So maybe that's her connection to the whole thing, and this is like her. She's learned enough now that this is like the something unnatural is going on here. Yeah. I need to figure it out. Moment. The they work walk this weird side path where like they seem to have this unearned relationship where like they have this affinity for each other that has no basis in what we've seen. Yeah, the whole scene just feels weird, especially just because the way it's played. Like, it feels like this is a very important thing. It's like, but right. in the context of this movie, she was already suspicious of him. So I'm not sure why this yeah. is a shock or anything. That's why I would right. rather her 
you know, like, I guess she could be in some other version, his girlfriend already, and this, sure. like, she uncovers some sort of lie, like... Well, uh, and this reveal doesn't do anything for us, the viewer, because we know he's that old already, right. so it's not surprising for us. Yeah, it's, this scene only, these scenes only exist to further her knowledge. Right. It's, right. <clears throat> it provides nothing interesting, really, for the viewer, except for, I guess, this little tidbit that, as a practical matter... Stealing the identity of a fetus is good for you. <laughs> so, uh, in the next scene, we're at a newsstand, and we've got the New York Post. I guess the police, uh, I think it was revealed at some point they're going to release the information to the press. Well, they release a photograph That's of it. the Kurgan. So, he cuts his hair. The next time we see him, he has, right. like, shaved right. his head. So, they've got, like, a police sketch of the Kurgan in the newspaper. Uh, and also, I, as being from Philly, I noticed that the newspaper says... Uh, Rangers fall to Flyers, which I thought was pretty funny. So go Flyers. Yeah, that's right. Suck it, Rangers. Sports. (laughs) We like sports and we don't care who knows. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just a a little like interstitial scene that doesn't really do much other than let us know that the Kurgan's going to change his look, I guess. I don't know what the scene really does. But next we're in the church. Yep. Amen. why don't you tell us about the church? Well, Connor is lighting a candle for Heather, and it's her birthday. And so he's fulfilling his promise. And also lighting a candle for Ramirez. Oh, that's That right. old yeah. haggis. Yeah, you old haggis. Uh, so then he goes down to pray or whatever. And then in comes Clancy Brown. And now he's got his hair cut, and this is where we actually see him with those safety pins through his throat scar. Yeah, so he's right. like full-on punk rocker, whatever. Yeah. Like, he's like really crazy looking now. Yep. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm a big fan of this. This entire scene is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like, Clancy Brown and even Connor. Like, these are good performances from both of them in this scene. Oh, this yeah. is great. Uh, so it's interesting. This scene was filmed, like, late at night. Apparently, this, this church was, like, desperate for money. Mm. Uh, so they agreed to let them shoot here. There's a priest we see later on. He's like an Orthodox rabbi, apparently, playing a priest. Um, huh. And then all he's an Orthodox Jewish guy playing a Catholic priest. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, and then I guess there's a lot of nuns in this scene, which mm-hmm. I believe are real nuns, which is interesting. So they're they're kind of extras, but not quite nuns. No sense of humor. Nope. As the Kurgan says in this scene. <laughs> so the Kurgan goes to the the candle. I don't know what you would call that. He goes up to the candles and starts to pray, but then he just snuffs out all the candles. Yeah, it's, in pretty, like it's a, actually a pretty badass move, the, I think. Playful manner. He's like yeah. wax them all out with his yeah. hand. Yeah. And then he uh, comes up to McLeod and he's like, Castiguer is gone. Only you and I remain. So, yeah. <laughs> It's awesome. And this is also the big reveal in this scene. This speaks to something you had said earlier, Keith, about kind of the tranquility theme being linked into this. This is kind of the moment that tests that insofar as they wanted to make that a big theme. This is where he reveals like that he sexually assaulted Heather. This finally comes up and that Mac didn't know this entire time. So this would have been like the real thing for like the, the, the real test for him. I guess in terms of keeping his cool comes from this revelation. Right. Right. Um, also, I wanted to note, like, as part of the Kurgan's look here, did well, two things. Did anyone notice, well, he has a tattoo? It's a dragon. It, yeah, he's got the dragon tattoo. So this, on this, his head. On his head. So, one, I guess immortals can get tattoos. Like, you don't immortally regenerate ink out of your head. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, that's something you can permanently get 
Again, I don't really care. Whatever. It's a fun visual, so I don't want to look into it too much. Two fun dragon things here. So he's got a dragon tattooed on his head, but he also has, like, one tuft of hair that he left on his head. And that's the mane of the dragon, which I think is kind of funny. Like, Mm. it's the hair on the, the dragon's head is his, like, tuft of hair. Do dragons have hair? I don't know, but this one does. Sometimes uh, they do. And then it also looks like he's gotten like weird implants in his face. Like if yeah, you look he has under his weird bumps, he yeah. has like scales <clears throat> implanted under like his eye. Oh, I thought those were like little studs that he had like piercings under his eye. I think they're like embedded under his eye. But either way, I think it looks like scales. So like at this point, like he's becoming even more of like the dragon character. The reptilian. Uh, and of course, as we still we see at the end of the scene, he goes, Happy Halloween, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and he flicks his tongue at them. And I was yeah. like, Oh, he's like a dra- like full on dragon now. And uh, he like licks their hand. <laughs> yes, he licks a priest's hand, yeah. which is the creepiest it's thing. Gross. Yeah. He's like I am a worm. Yeah. <laughs> he looks at the guy's hand. It's awesome. Uh, apparently, he apologized to the priest afterwards uh, after they filmed the scene. He's like, I'm really sorry about that. But that's like a brilliant bit of like yeah. acting, I think. Was, like, yeah. was that not part of the It script? must not have been if he felt he had to apologize for it. I think it's amazing. Like, yeah. He, again, as much as Clancy Brown seems to not like dig on this character, I think, he really owns it and does really good stuff with like the material he's given and the and the confines he's given like he creates a really sadistic maniac character so i'm sympathetic to him in that the character itself is not necessarily inherently interesting it's only interesting by virtue of the fact that he ratchets up to 11 right but like someone who did this at a nine this is a forgettable character yeah you know it's Mm -hmm. like he's inseparable from why this character is good do we want to talk about this plot device of kurgan having raped heather we probably should yeah kyle we've mentioned this a lot on the podcast i know you've been vocal about like this sort of rape element why don't you talk about this it's just this ever-present element certainly in the first season is this this looming threat of sexual assault that i feel like is used as a in the show at least a shorthand to make you despise a character or to reaffirm that a character is evil and I feel like this character might be the gen, like the Kurgan might be the genesis of that. Part of the reason you know he's evil is because you know that he sexually assaults Heather, and that he, I don't know, may or may not sexually assault that prostitute Candy when that comes up with Herpes Ed Norton. Right. In some ways, I feel like we're witnessing the beginning of that, and I think it's problematic in a lot of ways. Hmm. Like, that's lazy. That's certainly part of it. Yeah. Like the Kurgan when the chips are down short of him like playing the game how many evil things do we see him do we do see him do evil things certainly sure but the sexual assault things are the most evil things in terms of just though killing other immortals like they're locked in this conflict that where wherein decapitating each other is part of the rules right so insofar as they want to make him evil they need to do something more significant than that But I feel like that's conveyed in Brown's performance, just that he's reveling in this. I think that's enough. Mm -hmm. He's playing the character as, like, a kind of malevolent, like a cat playing with a mouse. And I I feel like that's enough without this rape thing. Mm. I feel like there could be a role for this insofar as this tranquility, oneness with nature element was played up. If there was a reason for him to have raped Heather... Or let me phrase that, not a reason for him to have done it, but uh, a function that it served in the plot. So that if maybe he doesn't reveal here that it happened, maybe he reveals it during the final fight. And then Connor has to, like, control himself. Or maybe if they had established a pattern 
that the Kurgan gets Connor riled up. Right. And here's another example. Maybe he kills Angus or Dougal during that first fight, and that's why they hate each other. Mm. That, like, they have this rivalry. Connor's invested in trying to kill him. Then he kills Ramirez, and it's this whole saga ongoing between them. And then, like, the last straw is him revealing that he sexually assaulted his wife. And then the triumph, the triumphant moment is when, for the first time, perhaps, he doesn't lose his cool. He remembers what Ramirez taught right. him, and by remaining cool, he wins. Like, that might have been a way to... Yeah, that definitely would have tied it all together. I don't know. I agree, though. It has no independent significance. It just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And this is kind of what sets Connor off on the Kurgan in the church when he mentions that. Good moment. Yeah, it is. It is. Like him getting in there and like the Kurgan having to like chide him like a schoolboy. Like, (laughs) remember what Ramirez taught you. Yeah. Yeah. We don't fight in churches. Right. But then again, I don't know. Maybe just sexual assault should make us uncomfortable, and that's the point. Like, yeah. Maybe we should all just feel uncomfortable about evil things that go on in the world. And right. that's a natural response. But yeah. I agree that there's this shorthand to it that we shouldn't just kind of accept. Yeah. Especially because it doesn't do... It's shorthand to just make him evil, not shorthand to get us to some sort of plot. It should tie into Connor some way. Yeah, because we all knew he was evil. Right. So right. at the end of the scene, the Kurgan is like, I'll see you outside. And Connor's like, you bet you will. No, it's... And then... Connor's, <laughs> no, he says, like, we can't fight here. Connor says, I'll see you outside. Right. Yeah. But they don't. But then it just moves on. It's like, yeah. okay, like, I guess that's not happening. Yeah, I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why they included that dialogue, because it, again, does not pay off in any way. Yeah. Uh, then the, uh, the Kurgan just stays in the church, creeps out everybody, yep. and uh, improvises the line, it's better to burn out than to fade away. I got something to say. Yeah. It's better to burn out. Then the fade away. <laughs> Does that work its way into a Queen song too? Yes. That's a, wasn't that a different song? No. Um, well, there's a there no. is in a Neil Young song. What is that? Um, you are correct. It like he does say it, and it's about I forget what rock star he's writing about. He's writing about a different rock star in the song, right? But it's you know, better it, to burn out. <laughs> it's kind of how it goes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but out of the blue and into the black. Uh, but it definitely is in a Queen song as well. Like they do use. Uh, I'm sure they got Clancy to come into the studio again and record this <laughs> dialogue. Because yeah, I think it's in another song. So the Neil Young song is called "Hey Hey My My," which is its in parenthetical title is "Into the Black." That's mm-hmm. what I was just resonating. And I'm pretty sure it's "Give Me the Prize" is the Queen song. That includes that line. So, next, we are in the antique shop, and Brenda is back there, and she's seeing Rachel, and she's, I guess, explaining to Rachel, she knows, like, the whole scoop. She's like, I know Nash's dead. Like, where is he? I want to talk to him. Right. This all out in the open. Um, and, of course, Connor then walks in, and he invites her upstairs. He's like, why don't you come upstairs with me? What voice is that? Do I? I can't do uh, any voice. I cannot were, do voices. You the Batman, maybe? I think so. Sure. Uh, Come upstairs with me. <laughs> Swear to me. <laughs> Our hockey pants. Um, <laughs> wearing hockey pants. So anyway, uh, he invites Brenda upstairs. I don't know why she goes with him because, all right, let's like break this down. It's like, yeah. first off, she's investigating, uh, investigating a murder investigation that he is like suspect number one in. Yep. Two, she, like, follows her around, Mm -hmm. like, sneaks up on her in Madison Square Garden and a bar. They have dinner. They don't even get to dinner. I wonder what was for dinner that night. Who knows? But (laughs) they have dinner together. She has a I think it was Duck (laughs) LaRange. Oh. Uh, like another super awkward meeting with them, like confirming weird suspicions about him. 
Uh, and then, like, she now has found out that this guy is a complete liar. Yeah. Like, he's not who he says he is. He is a murder suspect. And he's like, come upstairs, Brenda. And she's like, okay. Like, yeah. It's like, this is like Randy McFarland in yeah. Deadly Medicine, where yeah. uh, Joey Pants is like, come down why don't to the you basement. come down to my basement? <laughs> my secret basement lab. Like, yeah. just come on. Like, And she's like, okay. Like, yeah. I'm not your invest- murder basement. Yeah, I'm not investigating you for deaths of your patients, but right. I'll just come right down there. Yeah, though, this whole, this whole segment then begins with this awesome shot that comes down through his octagonal treasure room. The like, silver room. Yeah, the camera basically comes down through a sunroof and rotates around the entire thing. And it's awesome. It's, it's a great. really cool it's a shot. Good shot. So the camera enters into this octagonal room. And yeah, let's play this clip of Connor explaining himself to Brenda. I'm Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Full on Scottish. I was born in 1518 no. in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. He looks like shit here. <laughs> I am immortal. Did he groan before yes. he got stabbed? Yes. Oh! <laughs> so she stabs him and he, like, keels over. Right. And here's, there's something right now I want to talk about. Aside from this. A nice little musical moment here. Uh, it's uh, Who Wants to Live Forever? And Michael Kamen has just stacked all of the notes of the melody, like, almost on top of each other. He, like, compresses time, which is kind of cool. Whatever. <laughs> and now he's playing the theme. So now they're like gazing into each other's eyes, and Connor takes his bloody fucking hand <laughs> and puts it on the side of her face when they kiss. Why are they kissing? Why is yes. anything about this erotic? Is what I want to know. So like, he first off, this is so traumatizing. Yes, he decides that the best way to prove to her that she's immortal is to basically put a knife in her hand and make make her, her stab <laughs> him. Yeah, which is like, so you've just given this person PTSD. <laughs> yeah. You've just ruined this person's life. Yeah, it's really weird. And then her just emotional reaction to this is like, this reminded me of like Twilight. I mean, y'all know how big a Twilight fan I am. Uh, but like <laughs> when she finds out he's a vampire in Twilight, it's like, oh my God, like I liked you before, but I like you even more. Like, what is the attraction to this? Like, our well, female- did, you, did you see his face? Did you see how good looking he was in that scene? And the fact that he groans before he stabs himself uh, is amazing. Ooh. He goes, ugh, and then he stabs himself. He's just like, here we go again. <laughs> I have to prove to this uh, another woman that I'm immortal. So we asked, I guess, in one of our in our previous podcasts, do women find Connor McCloud attractive? And we got a couple of responses, which was yes. He is attractive. And I will give him that for being, like, a man of mystery, like, an odd-looking man. Like, he's got character, I Austin guess. Austin Powers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an international man of mystery? So, follow-up question for all the ladies out there. Is what is going on right now attract? Like, what about this, like, change in your perception of him makes him more attractive? Like, Oh, you're a mythical being of yeah, some kind? It's you're, like, if he revealed himself, if he took off his pants and was a centaur, <laughs> would you have been like, oh! Like, <laughs> I think I'd be more amazed by the defying physics of him being able to put his centaur lower half in his slacks. Well, I mean, I'm sure everyone has seen how would a dog wear pants, so. <laughs> but yeah, I just don't get why she is, like, 
this is the turning point for her. Like, what do you guys they, think? They literally make out while there's a bloody knife still on the ground. It makes no sense. Well, his bloody hand is on her face. <laughs> like, wipe it off first, dude. Also, she still he still doesn't explain to her why he cut Vasile's head off, right? Nope. nope. Like, that could have been an unrelated event. Right. Yeah, she did. <laughs> this does not explain to her <laughs> yes. anything about the murder she's yeah. investigating. Yeah, he's like, I'm a vampire immortal man. Oh, and I just serial kill people for no good reason. Like, <laughs> that also was just an antique deal gone bad. Like, that's yep. exactly what you guys thought it was. Oh, and I was trying to get a blowjob, and I didn't like the price, so... <laughs> so... We follow this make-out sesh Jesus with a full-on sex Oh, baby. This is gross. <laughs> humana, humana, this humana, is humana. also, if you think this is gross, this is the second time they had to film it. Ew. What? They decided the first one wasn't, like, I guess, hot and steamy enough and the chemistry wasn't there. Ugh. So they shot the whole thing again, which means Miss Brenda J. Wyatt had to get all down to her skivvies and mac it with Mac again. Again? Oh, you're saying the chemistry wasn't there, huh? <laughs> Go figure. So, yeah, in the second one, to establish more chemistry, they decided not to show their faces or barely show their bodies. And they're like, oh, this is be- definitely hotter. Just be shrouded in shadow, <laughs> but make very clear that there is nipple sucking involved. Yeah, I was about A to say, Lambert takes her whole tit in his mouth. <laughs> I'm like, this is disgusting. I hope she got paid a lot of money to be in this movie. Because that's gross. (laughs) Let's not be disparaging here about nipples, but like... No! It's still just like... It's not... I I have no problem with nipple. I have a problem with letting Christopher Lambert suck my nipple. That's the problem. What's not your nipple? (laughs) Just if I was... A person. Yeah. <laughs> if and only if you're a person. <laughs> well, if I was an actor, and part of my role required that I get my nipples sucked by Christopher Lambert. The guy with the sword. The guy with the sword, Christopher Lambert. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just saying, the prospect of Christopher Lambert sucking my nipple is not one I would relish. Especially with his sandpaper face. Yeah. <laughs> He can't shave. Scratch, in the scratch. context of yeah. this movie, he is he is never clean shaven <laughs> once in the future. Also, I just think present. it's weird. Like, is that like was that improvised? Did they agree to that? Like, the nip sucks. The nip suck. Yes. <laughs> Christopher Lambert said to stretch his actor's legs and be like, you know what? I think my character would suck a nipple. Yeah, I'm yeah. feeling this in the moment. I'm just gonna suck a nip. It's just ugh. ugh. <laughs> but she's a consummate professional. If she goes. With <laughs> sure. This. Oh, boy. Uh, so, again, they filmed this scene twice, and as part of the original scene, there's, like, some afterglow in bed, like, where there's some dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- they shot this reshot on the same set they filmed the final climactic battle scene, which is oh. why it's all, like, kind of backlit, yeah. like, there's the big windows in the background. But the original one, afterwards, they're in bed, they mm-hmm. talk about Napoleon a little bit, uh, but also, we do kind As you do. As you do. <laughs> uh, you do get a payoff for what Brenda's been wanting this whole time, which is that he shows her the sword. Oh. Which I guess like does kind of make sense because like yeah. that's what she's after the whole time. His sword. His sword. He's, oh. She's after his sword. From Bet she is. His samurai. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice hilt. Uh, <laughs> nice hilt. <laughs> is his whole body the hilt in this? <laughs> gross. Sorry. Gross. 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 Uh, but anyway, he shows her the sword, and she's like, "Ooh, nice sword." 
Uh, so that's in the original cut. Uh, that footage, I don't know if it's out there at all. I know there are stills of it, but... I hope it's out there. Rumor is there is some footage out there of it. Hmm. I don't think that one got destroyed, but I don't know. You do. You look very pretty, Brenda. You know what else looks pretty? A five-star review on iTunes. <laughs> it's almost as good as a bag of vintage Doritos, Brenda. Yum, yum, yum. So why don't you go over <laughs> iTunes and leave us a five-star review? I like this two, two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <one> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should cut me out. It should just be aiming. No, I want it both. <laughs> I think that's much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> So now they're at the zoo. Why? Yeah, Why also, are they at the zoo? And another what crazy cut where it's like, it just cuts from like banging to lions yeah. roaring. And I guess yep. it's like, oh, okay. Like when, when you have cuts like this, you they just got it on. It forces you to like draw comparisons. And it's like, I guess it's like animalistic. Like, I don't know. Again, I just Congress, threw up in my own Congress mouth. Like lion. I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> also, it's worth pointing out that throughout this entire thing, We've been getting these fast and furious cuts back to the past like crazy. Like, we'll visit the present for a minute and go back to the past. The very last cut to the past is that stupid Boston Common scene. Oh, yeah. That's the last time we're in the past in this entire movie, and it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Uh, uh. You know what I mean? Like, something about the end of this movie felt odd to me. And I think when I put my finger on it, it's that... We like this movie makes you accustomed to this fluidity between past and present, but the entire like last thirty it's like minutes, the third act of the movies, the entire third act, act yeah. yeah, is entirely in the present, and that's not the setup that the rest of the movie has built you for. So it's mm. very odd. And there's another fatal flaw with that Boston Commons scene, which you <laughs> love so much for no reason. Fatal flaw. <laughs> uh, so it should be noted this entire weird zoo scene uh, is not in the U.S. version oh, at wow. all. Oh, huh. good. <laughs> so in this scene, uh, we get Brenda. This is so. This is this is a scene. As much as you guys hated the Boston Commons scene, I will say I hate. This scene. I oh. also hate this okay, scene. Okay, good. But the other scene cost more money, time, and was built up more. So. <laughs> and it, well, it had less lions, though. So, I mean, that's the scene's got that That's a flaw with a lot true. of scenes in this movie. Not enough lions. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not blame the lions, people. Um, that so, was the working title when they were filming, Not Enough Lions. Not Enough Lions. <laughs> so, we're at the zoo, I guess, and Connor tells Brenda that he's like, I can't get involved with you. It's too dangerous, blah, blah, blah. After he's had sex with After, <laughs> like, he gets down to business. Yeah. And, of course, in the background, there's a silhouette of the Kurgan. Like, he appears like, right. snooping on them, and there's no buzz or anything. Again, yeah. like, that also leads me to, like, to confirm that idea that this buzz sort of sound, like, is something that they did add in post because there's no sort of well, Connor, inkling that he, ha like, And he's, like... 30 feet He's from right yeah. there. Well, yeah. the Kurgan, like, sneaks out to look at them. Like, they're in front of a tunnel, and the Kurgan's on the other end of this, yeah. like, tunnel. And he, like, pe peeps out, looks at them, <laughs> and, like, hides away. But then, like, Connor, like, abruptly turns around for a second after the Kurgan's already left. But I'm like, he knows they're the only two immortals left. So if he got any kind of buzz, I think he'd do more than just, like, turn around and then be like, eh, it's probably nothing. <laughs> so... He's just like, eh, I'm probably just hungover. Yeah, yeah I don't know. So this scene has a lot of problems for me because so w one good thing the scene does have is Brenda says the line, most people are afraid to die, you're afraid to live. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a good line. I think yeah. that works in the context of what this movie could be about, especially like that one song that kind of gets cut slash shafted, which is One Year of Love. Like Connor needs to make this decision that it's better to love somebody than to love nobody. So I think that's an interesting line. But it doesn't really get explored. Uh, but the other thing I don't get about this is, like, Connor's like, eh, this is, like, too dangerous. I can't get involved with anybody. And Brenda's just like, yeah, okay. And then she just walks away. And Connor's left, like, in front of the lions by himself. It's like, hold on. Uh, for the past hour and 30 minutes, we have been watching you try to unravel the mystery of this man. Yeah. And then you got your rocks off, and <laughs> that's it. Like, and you're like, eh, sorry, whatever. Like, magic's over. Like, it's a kind of magic. Apparently, there was no magic. Like, it doesn't matter to her. She's like, fine, whatever. She doesn't, like, put up an argument like, no, no, like, it's not too dangerous. Like, she's just like, she just gives in. She's like, I'm a you're victim. right, I'm, I'm dumped. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm a victim. Was there any kind of tie-in between these lions and the stag from earlier? Was that what the point Huh. Like, <laughs> the whole time I was sitting there, like, trying to interpret the lines here is, like, he's having some kind of moment with these lines. <laughs> yeah. And there just isn't. Like, no. I'm not sure there is. I don't think. No, I just think either. this was, they just had a location so, to shoot at. Yeah. So at one point, he's, somebody says, like, you're not listening. But at the same time, I thought she was saying they're not listening. Like, these <laughs> lions aren't listening to you. I don't know. I might be going way far afield here. But, like, this weird animalistic connection was so puzzling. Yeah. That I, I'm, I was probably grasping at straws here when, for some unknown reason, they had to shoot this scene in front of, like, the most majestic animals alive. Yeah. Also, if you, like, break it down, like, what happened afterwards, it's like, all right, so according to the movie's geography, it seems like Duncan, or Duncan, <laughs> it seems like Connor <laughs> lives in Chelsea, presumably. So it's like, all right, so where are they going to the zoo? Like, Central Park? Maybe the Bronx, like, I don't know, this actually looked like the Bronx to me. Uh, it's mm. like, did they just take it, like, get on the subway and hike it all the way across town? And then he was like, eh, I can't date anymore. Like, what <laughs> kind of breakup is this? Like, <laughs> also, they have, like, this weird, like, Did they hey. have breakfast? They, they, like, had a yeah. whole thing going on. They were like, hey, everything you know about the nature of life and death is wrong. I'm going to take you on a date to the zoo and let you know <laughs> easy. Like, that was what happened? <laughs> yeah, Can this you is a weird... for your own ticket? Yeah. This is one of you those. Might watch your own tokens. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those problems a lot of movies have when the crux. It's like the the will they won't they sort of scenario. Like, are they ever going to get together? Like, it's like one guy's like a stoner loser, and the other guy, uh, and, the, and the girl's like a, a professional working woman. Like, will they won't they? Like, and then the second they get together, what's the story? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like how do we write these two characters? Like, once they get together. I don't know what to do. I feel like this suffers from like, I, like let's just have them split up again. Like, yeah, like right away. Like, oh, they got together. Uh, they must break up now. Like, okay. You know what? I honestly think just this scene works, but the conclusion should be the opposite. Like, he should be like, oh, like that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. My wife is so dangerous. Here's the deal. And she should say like, no, it's worth it. And he should right. buy into it. And then they like. They're normal people, so they have to go do separate things in a given day. She's like, I gotta go to work. Bye. Uh, And then the Kurgan, who has now been snooping on them, goes and gets her. And it's like, he's actually kidnapping someone who Connor's connected to, not the person he just dumped. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, I feel like this scene has, like, okay bones but for some reason right. their instinct was like opposite of yeah. what it should have been so then we get to the next scene where the kurgan does kidnap brenda and as you yep. said Kyle, what makes better bait than ex-girlfriends 
Yeah. <laughs> like, that's I don't insane. Understand. It's like, so this uh, this is an amazing scene. So I guess the Kurgan follows Brenda home. Yep. But somehow gets there before she does, even though presumably he doesn't know where she lives. He takes the elevator up to the top floor. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll buy that and... Because he, he's on the wrong floor, sure. And he's eating a popsicle. He's got, like, yeah. a strawberry popsicle. It's yeah. like, oh, Kurgan <laughs> and his strawberries and cream. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice tie-in to that ancient battlefield scene where he's <laughs> eating a firecracker. <laughs> uh, so then we get this, like, pretty classic, like, horror movie sort of thing. Like, she spots yeah. him. This is a scared. scene from a different movie. <laughs> she yeah. runs into his apart- her apartment, locks the door, and then he, like, busts through. Yeah. This, I think this is well... F- I liked, like the way this is all yeah, filmed. It's like, filmed great. This is very music video-y, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's like bright red. Yeah. All the lighting. It's a lot of like handheld stuff down hallways. I don't know. It's very fun. Uh, but something that I'd like to be rewritten in this scene, Highlander rewrite, is at the end she ends up like it's a callback to the gun in the uh, like the the drawer that she hides right. when Connor shows up and she grabs it and I guess the Kurgan ends up like grabbing her hand and she ends up shooting like two bullets into the ceiling. What I wish happened was that when Connor visited her apartment initially, he found the gun, saw it as a threat. Like and somehow, took the bullets out? And he out. took the bullets out because he's like, I don't want any of this trouble. Emptied it out. And then when she goes to get the gun and defend herself, like she actually legitimately has a chance to shoot the Kurrigan and maybe escape, it has no bullets. So then like, it also creates this, like Connor's like a little responsible for her being in this predicament because he took her bullets out. I wish it was kind of paid off in that way because otherwise it's like that gun scene earlier just ends up letting us know she has a gun for this scene like i, I don't know you know like, yeah. i don't know the purpose of how this stuff all works and that would give that scene a lot more meaning yeah <laughs> or like if she actually just shot him that would have been the other alternative no yeah. and she it just didn't gun, do anything and, and she shoots him and then he's just like mom <laughs> well does has she been filled in on all this prize business not that we know of. Nope. Yeah. So, which is why she still should think that he murdered a guy at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yeah, like, does she know that Kurgan is out there? That's what I'm, I wasn't know. sure about. I'd assume about. not. Yeah. Frankly. Mm. Because, frankly, he, she just found out that you can't die. Let's take this one step at a time. Right. right. <laughs> but he grabs her and takes her on this crazy joy ride. And this, I think this sequence is amazing. I like this, yeah. too. I... Uh-oh. No, hang on. <laughs> I like 50% of this sequence. Which 50? The, um, the best 50 or the better 50 of it? So I just wish this sequence was half the length it was. It is a little and long. It's very long. This is an extremely long sequence, and I think if it was like a half to two-thirds of its length, it would be amazing. But by the end of it, I was just like, why are we still driving in this car? <laughs> like, why is this still happening? I like I like how, how it's filmed. I think that's really cool, especially the end of it where they're going across the bridge towards yeah. the Silver Cup building. That's like a really nice shot. Totally. Uh, there's a lot of good good filming, and it, it does go on a little long, though, I will. I wonder if that has to do with the music cues, if they wanted to get in more music. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me, because the music's great during this whole thing. And then the Kurgan busts into New York, New York. Yeah. And then Queen busts into New York, New York. Right. And apparently Freddie Mercury did not want to record this. Because, again, I think Clancy Brown improvised singing New York, Uh. New York. It was something they came up with on the spot. Mm -hmm. And then they had asked Queen, they're like, hey, this would be a great 
like way to incorporate you guys. Like, why don't you take over that song? And for some reason, Freddie Mercury was like very reluctant to do it. And he like they went back and forth for a while and eventually agreed to do it. But the movie's uh, better for it. It's a great mm-hmm. I think he's great. It's like yeah. also Brenda is an excellent screamer. Yes. She's like, selling she's the screaming. Selling this. Yes. I mean Clancy Brown is too. He's like kind of <laughs> taking an evil joy out of this, like, look ma, no hands and like stuff like that while he's driving around. Pretty pretty nefarious. Yeah. And this is a, a small bit of like we we again don't get too much character building from about the Kurgan. Like other than or her. Just, we get nothing out yeah, of either. Uh but like that other than he's just pure evil. Like we don't right. see maybe the motivation for any of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this scene is maybe the closest we get to like, hey, like somebody that can't die, like they have no wrists, they have no like he's kind of careless about life. Like I feel like this adds a little bit to the character that we don't get otherwise, because otherwise he's just a cartoon evil character. This this to me felt like a it, there, there was the the building blocks of something more about like someone's like outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it added anything more to the character, frankly. I mean, I agree it showed his indifference to life. It added his flavor of the kind of evil he is, but. It's not like he made him sympathetic in any way or more nuanced. So <laughs> they head over the Queensboro Bridge to the Silver Cup Studios, which are now a pretty famous New York landmark. At the time, this was not like the biggest known building in the, the city. Like actually the, the in the script, this was going to be on the Statue of Liberty at one point. Right. And then it got moved to an amusement park. And eventually they settled on the Silver Cup Studios, which used to be an old bakery in New York. Uh, and then... Around this time, got converted into a movie studio or soundstage, I guess, for movies and TV. I don't know. A bajillion things are filmed there now, like The Sopranos. Well, not anymore. <laughs> it's canceled. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like ten years ago, yeah, The Sopranos, The Sopranos, Thirty, 30 Rock. Um, I was curious. Um, I know, like in its early days, like when it wasn't as like renowned as like the biggest studio in New York, they did a lot of music videos there. Hmm. And I was curious if like Russell maybe had an affinity for this place or had shot some stuff there before. I was like, oh, like this is a great place to shoot. Yeah, so they went there. Uh, but it's now a pretty iconic location. Uh, if you say what, what's it uh, like, Spider Man One? So the, the first Sam Raimi Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a they're fighting on the, the the Queensboro Bridge, and I think the Silver Cup Studios are prominently displayed in the background. Oh wow! I think I don't know. I could be misremembering, but you yeah, see it all the time. Remember? Yeah, mm. that's cool. The Kurgan leaves Connor a voicemail. <laughs> a voicemail, and yeah. you see like the the cassette rolling. Yeah. So why is Connor there? Like, where is this voicemail at Connor's place? Yeah. Okay. Because Rachel's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Connor ditches his ruffle, ruffled trench coat for a classy leather number yeah. and decides that he's going to go face the music. That's right. He says, sweet Rachel, you knew this would happen. Russell Nash dies tonight. So... I guess when I asked earlier if, like, was he at his apartment or, like, this is a voicemail, at first, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I think when I watched it recently, I th- I didn't think this was taking place at Connor's apartment. I thought Connor was at Brenda's apartment. And I thought, I was like, maybe he's going, like, I was trying to figure out his motivation. I was like, is he there to apologize? Maybe he does want to reconnect. And I was thinking, this isn't a voicemail. This is that voice recorder, again, that has been teased earlier. Uh, he's at his own place. Really? I think this is yeah. a weird editing thing. I'm pretty sure. Because, like, I find uh, there's some weird editing earlier, too. Like, with the, uh, I was confused when Brenda goes to the Hall of Records mm-hmm. to check the, the, the birth certificate. And mm-hmm. then it cuts to, like, the doctor's office. Like, uh. the way that cuts, I was like, 
is she interviewing someone at the Hall of Records here? Right. Like, I was like, I don't know where they are. Uh, I feel like this is a similar thing. I think Connor's at Brenda's apartment, and then we cut to Connor getting ready at his own apartment with Rachel. Maybe. Yeah. And I think I think this is the tape recorder. Like, again, I think that's the reason that scene existed earlier was to show she had a gun and to, sh- to get this tape recorder in there. So None mm. of those things are meaningful enough to be worth spreading breadcrumbs for. Hey, man. I, I'm <laughs> versus this just, movie's got a lot of just, just versus just problems. having an answering machine. This is 19. Well, I mean, there were answering machines at this point. Yeah, I know. So he just has an answering machine and Clancy Brown fucking calls it. I want to look this up. I want to know where he is. Everyone <laughs> on the internet tell us if this is Brenda's apartment or Connor's apartment. You look pretty, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, these are the unanswered questions that Highlander fans have been clamoring for years to find out. That's right. <laughs> we'll start a poll on our Facebook page. Yep. Brenda's Place or Connor's Answering Machine. <laughs> Connor's Answering Machine. Anyone who thinks differently is an idiot. <laughs> so, either way, totally wherever this scene takes place, Connor ends up talking to Rachel. Rachel. Sweet right. Rachel. Sweet, sweet Rachel. Sweet and, Rachel. And she says, and this is a weird thing. She's like, the endless years of killing have driven him mad. And I'm like, huh? Like, this feels like it's something left over from an earlier script. Hmm. And I'm gonna, I, I'd am gonna. i like to play a clip right now of Gregory Wyden, the creator of Highlander, talking about the Kurgan. And then we'll talk about maybe the scene a little bit. The fascinating thing about watching Highlander as the guy who dreamed it up is it's amazing how many times the movie steps out of itself. You know, particularly some moments with the Kurgan. And Clancy had a real problem with that. He hated what he was being asked to do. And um, and he used to come to me complaining about it. And um, and I didn't know what to tell him because I did think it was a little jokey, you know. And uh, um, what is essentially a very serious person with a serious issue was kind of tarted up a little bit. The Kurgan was probably in many ways the thing that was the most different about my screenplay. He was much more a tortured, uh, it was, the Kurgan in, in um, Highlander as it is, is pretty much like Freddy. You know, he's just a cackling psychopath. I envisioned him as a guy who, you know, you lose everything over time. And the only thing that he could hold on to to give him a reason to get up in the morning was to finish this thing and finish it with our guy. And it was really about that more than anything, more than possession of this force, more than it was just a reason to get up in the morning. Like, what is the point? You know, you, you, nothing is permanent, everything is lost. And so that made him a much more serious, almost uh, in a weird way, sympathetic bad guy. Um, and the Kurgan in the movie is much less that. You know, he's, he's just a guy who screws with people because he enjoys screwing with people. And, um, and it's just a different way to do it, you know. But that was probably the biggest difference between the two versions. Hmm. So I was wondering, knowing the context of Gregory Wine's conception of this character, when Rachel says, like, he's been driven mad by years of killing like this doesn't seem to be like this seems like a line that's like left over from an earlier version of the script where like th- this version of the kurgan seems like a psychopath from the beginning like he's a raping murdering like freak uh, i don't i don't see him dri- being driven mad by anything 
Uh, right, and insofar as he was driven mad, it was over 400 years ago yeah. when he was driven mad uh, by And anything. I think this, like, this yeah. line is really interesting. Like, I like this idea of someone that's like ends up being consumed by this thing. Like, maybe they get obsessed with the game, like, right. and they're just like, I have to win, or I just have to like compete, and it's just it, it just becomes a yeah. cycle of death and it's like, murder. Worst case scenario, I die, and that's fine. Right. Uh, yeah, this, this is an odd line to me, just because it doesn't seem to fit at all. Like, he's a crazy person from the beginning. Like, yeah. Yeah, this feels like this kind of is part of the kind of Cold War reading of this entire movie. Because if you look at the movies from this period that kind of villains relish in chaos for their own sake, that's really what what he represents. This period of madness where there are no stakes and like chaos reigns. Maybe that's what's being referred to. Hmm. Like the madness of the times that nothing is permanent, therefore anything goes. Hmm. Eh. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, Connor is on his way off to save Brenda and to fight the Kurgan. And Rachel, I guess, uh, says, you're not coming back, are you? And so I was wondering, what do you guys think? Is Why is Connor not coming back? Does he love Brenda? Is he just tired of, I don't want to say tired of Rachel, but, like, he just needs to move on? Like, what? What? why would Connor not come back? Well, I think one thing is he's he's been kind of blown up enough that I think it's not really safe for him to remain where he is because he's he's a suspect in several murders. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he probably has to keep moving. He's probably used to this kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, yeah, he thinks maybe he's going to die. Well, the other side of it is if he doesn't die, he won the prize. That's true. Right. Right. So his life is going to be fundamentally different regardless like whoever comes back is not going to be the same person depending on what i guess we don't really know what the prize is and i suppose he doesn't but you know that's fundamental like the the status quo can't be maintained anymore right right you're either obtaining godlike power apparently <laughs> or you're getting your head cut off by a psychopath so yeah, yeah. deal with it yeah so he's left uh, i guess rachel some instructions she gets everything i guess he's bequeathing all his antique goodies and fortune to her uh, so he departs. Uh, he bids her farewell with the line, it's a kind of magic to call back to their childhood. Not their childhood. Her childhood. <laughs> her childhood uh, yeah. Nazi memories. <laughs> Remember that time I f- saved you from Getting machine Nazis? gunned <laughs> down by a Nazi. Uh, Whatever you say, Jack, you're the master race. <laughs> <laughs> smokes we are almost done you know what this means there's only one more episode left and that's going to be covering the final climactic battle between big daddy mac and the kurgan himself you're going to find out from me and my two cohorts here what we think of this movie and we're going to wrap this whole discussion up next week we're really excited about it i've been one of your rewatchers i'm keith this is kyle this is amen join us next week for the final installment of highlander rewatch the motion picture movie podcast blah, 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 blah. are the claymores real uh, yeah the claymores are real <laughs> <laughs>